I'm going into my senior season. My goal is to bring another national championship to St. John Bosco. I thought about it. I was very close to doing it, but the requirement would be two years of mandatory military service. I appreciate that people still follow high school sports. It's hard just to make it in the NFL because you're talking about the best of the best. I just wanted to, you know, bring a lot of really good, positive energy to our newsroom and get people excited about what they're doing. I said, hey, Ty, you think South Carolina's the place? And he said, yes. I just knew with his support and my gut feeling that it was the right place for me and my family. So we had a sponsor that sponsored him and got him a um, in-home tutor. That parent-kid relationship is really present in a lot of the stories that we tell because we're seeing kids become adults right in front of their parents. You're listening to the SoCal Sports Stories podcast with Connor Morissette. Welcome to the SoCal Sports Stories podcast. My name is Connor Morissette. I'm here at Notre Dame Sherman Oaks with athletic director and head football coach Kevin Rooney. Coach, you've been here for 39 years. How come you've stayed for so long? Um, a lot of reasons, but uh, Notre Dame's a great school. It's a great environment. Uh, I think that we do great work here. Um, the people I work with are people I really like. Um, just been been blessed to be in, in such a great place for such a long time and uh, I love coaching I love the relationship with the kids and with the coaches and uh, I can't think of anything else I'd rather do this year you had a fantastic season making it all the way to the division two semifinals but earlier in the year the team started 0-2 and you made a quarterback change decided to go with Cooper Meek over Toby Baclion and Cooper was the younger guy. How tough is that as a coach, even if it's necessarily the right decision? How tough is it sometimes to go with the, the sophomore over a senior who's worked really hard? And just sometimes as a coach, you got to make those calls. How hard was that? Uh, it's very hard um, because you, you, you love all the kids and you want to have the best for them. Uh, and you don't want to break somebody's heart who's been wanting to be in that position since they were young. Um, you know, but that's what the game is about, learning experiences. And you hope that, uh, you know, the guy who didn't earn the job um, learns something from it and becomes a great teammate and continues to be uh, a great part of the team, whether they're the starter or not. Uh, you know, and it's very difficult in these days. I mean, you look at the example of Alabama, you know, where they, they've been able to make that work um, with a former starter being uh, put out, essentially. Um, you know, nowadays it's kind of the more common thing is for people to transfer and, and so on. And, and uh, you know, I think that it's uh, the lessons that, that kids learn from being in those situations are, are important, whether they're the guy that got the job or the guy who didn't get the job. They're both important lessons. Um, you know, and you and you you love the guy that didn't get the job just as much as the guy who did. So, you know, you you feel for them, but at the same time, you got to do what's best for the team. Yeah, and clearly you did. You guys rattled off a bunch of wins after you made that change. This group, I mentioned Cooper, Mikel Broussard was a fantastic player this year. Christian Grubb was one of the fastest running backs that I'd seen all year. Had a great run. How will you remember this group? Um. As, as a very enjoyable group to coach, 
one of the main reasons is because they're very coachable. You know, and I, I really am a believer that, that person, the personality of the team is as important as the talent of the team. And um, these guys really liked each other, which is a big part of it. Uh, they have a great desire to be successful and to win, um, even if that requires uh, being unselfish and, and uh, putting their personal goals secondary to the team goals. And um, this team did that. I mean, they were and they were resilient. They battled back from the 0-2 start, um, continued to believe in themselves. And uh, so it's really one, one of the favorite teams I've had. And, Coach, this year, very sadly, and I'm so, so sorry, your wife passed away during the season, and I'm sure that was incredibly, incredibly difficult for you. You ended up coming back and, and coaching a couple playoff games after the services, and I know that your team – came to the service what did that mean to you well a great deal I mean obviously uh, we say a prayer at the end of every every practice and have mass on game days and and uh, the entire team was praying for my wife the entire time she was sick with seven months uh, so just having the support of of the team our coaches uh, the school community in general uh, has just been fantastic. Um, it's obviously a very, very difficult time for myself and my family. Um, you know, Notre Dame, my daughters all went to Notre Dame, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it was very helpful having, having the support of the team and the community. And I was at the practice after that occurred, and you mentioned just how happy you were and how impressed a lot of your college football teammates were who were there and I remember that vividly and then I just remember the La Habra game when you weren't able to be there your team there were a million times they could have quit and they were on the road and they were down a couple scores and you just kind of thought okay maybe this is going to be it for them and for them to fought, uh, fight back and Cooper to reach the ball <laughs> over the goal line that was a <laughs> miraculous ending to that game that was one of the best games uh, that I saw all year so I was really happy when your team pulled that game out and uh, was able to go on this great run what are some of your favorite memories from coaching here for 39 years uh, <clears throat> you know just just you know there's there's Memories from every every single certainly. season and every team, and and um, certainly years that we won CIF championships are are great memories. Um, you know the guys I've coached, you know who uh, have gone on to do great things in life, and you know you <laughs> having been here for so long, I've seen guys grow up really and be you know there are a lot of guys that are out doing great things in the world, and and uh, you know our hope is always that that the guys we coach go on to be great citizens, great fathers, uh, great people in whatever their profession ends up to be. And, and I've been able to see that happen with so many guys and they're so proud of those guys that uh, all those things are, are important memories. Last year you got win number 300. And at the time you were one of only three coaches to get 300 wins at one school. Now there's four, I believe. That's in the history of the whole state of California, and this is the most populated state in the whole country. You're one of four guys to have done that. What was that game like, winning the 300th one, 
And what did that mean to you? That's a huge accomplishment. Uh, you know, I, I really didn't think about that much, you know. And, uh, you know, for the, for the guys, all the guys that have contributed to all those wins, uh, that's great, you know. Um, but, you know, some of my coaches have been with me that whole time, too, and, and they're as responsible for it as, as anybody. And, um, you know, it was nice, nice having that recognition, but, you know, we're, we're just – we're still going and still trying to win games, and, and uh, you know, we're still – the number of games we win isn't as important as the as, uh, kind of people we produce. How did you first get the job here back in, I think, 1980? Um, I was an assistant coach at St. Francis High School in Mountain View in Northern California, and the uh, Father John Bitterman was the dean of men at St. Francis. He was named the principal here at Notre Dame, and he asked me to come down with him and be the athletic director and the head football coach. And uh, I had been an assistant coach for six years at St. Francis and thought, I would, thought I'd like to try and the rest yeah. is history. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and been here ever since. Before uh, you you got into coaching, I, I saw that you were a receiver at Santa Clara, and you told me off the air you don't know if you're still number four in receptions all time, but that's what I saw online. So that's great. That's we'll last, go with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's lasted uh, <laughs> quite a few years now. When did you think that y you wanted to get into coaching after playing at the collegiate level? Uh, you know, I didn't really even consider coaching. Um, I was a uh, biology major and was, my dad is a doctor, was a doctor, and, and I was considering going to medical school. Um, but my college coach often told me he thought I would be a good coach, and I don't know why he thought that, but... Um, well, clearly he was right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so after uh, I graduated, I actually did a fifth year, uh, he said that St. Francis High School in Mountain View needed a, a, a coach who could teach science. And I thought, well, I'll give it a try for a year. And uh, been doing it ever since. I loved it right from the get-go. So You'd be surprised at some of the coaches I have on here. I've talked to Harvey Katani, who was at Fairfax Basketball for a while, is now at Rolling Hills Prep. He said the same thing. I wasn't really sure. I did a year, and then I ended up loving it. So it's, it's very unique to see uh, that that is a common trait shared by a lot of coaches who are some of the football coaches that you looked up to when you were playing? It sounds like your college coach made a big impact on you. Yes, yeah, yeah. He Pat Malley was his name, and he he uh, he actually got both myself and Joe McNabb, who's been my top assistant since I've been here, uh, got both of us connected to Notre Dame. Um, um, he was a very positive influence, and you know, we when I was there, we didn't have great teams. We were you know, six and four, you know, those kind of things. And, uh, but he, he was a, uh, a great man and, and someone I admired a great deal. Uh, my high school coach was very influential too. I mean, just, just really good people who taught us about team and hard work and, you know, and all the things that, that you learn from being involved in athletics and football, especially, um, you know, they, they, uh, Ron Calcagno, who was the head coach at St. Francis High School when I first started coaching there, really was probably my greatest coaching influence. Uh, and again, a guy who um, really understood 
coaching and 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 not not so much the X's and O's part of things, but just motivating and and uh, you know under, understanding you know how to create team. So, where did you play high school football? Uh, in Sacramento at Miraloma High School. Okay, thank you. I w- was in Sacramento last year covering uh, state championships. I yeah. needed a jacket. It was freezing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I remember that was real windy. That yeah, game. my yeah. camera yeah. blew over. It was a disaster. Yeah. You mentioned Joe McNabb and how he's been here for as long as you have, and that's so rare. You, it's so rare to see a coach, a head coach, be at one place for so long, never mind an assistant. How has this partnership been able to last so long? Uh, I think just uh, mutual respect. Um, Joe's a great coach. Uh, we're a little different uh, in our styles, and I, and I think it's it works Uh you know, we we can discuss things and talk about them, and and we go round and round about things sometimes. But uh, in the end, we respect each other a great deal, and with all of our coaches, um, uh, he's the head track coach and has won 15 CIF championships or whatever. I mean, he's obviously a, a great coach, and really, it's kind of, and I've said this before, it's more like a co-coach type of a deal. You know, and I, I don't think he. He ego-wise needs to feel like he's the head coach to, uh, you know, for any reason. He's already the head coach in track, so I think he, uh, uh, you know, is is just doesn't need that head coach thing. I mean, he could be the head coach very easily, and there's several guys on our staff that could be head coaches. We're we're blessed to have uh, a great bunch of guys, but we enjoy working together and. Um, it, it works. And one time in the parking lot, didn't you guys uh, have a little accident? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were both bark- backing out of our parking spots and uh, banged right into each other, which uh, is a little embarrassing to say the least, but it was all his fault. <laughs> I remember reading that when Eric uh, put that in the L.A. Times, and that was hilarious. Yeah. Coach, I read a 1994 L.A. Times story that described you as being uncomfortable <laughs> talking with the media. I can't believe I'm, I'm saying that. It, they said it wasn't your favorite thing to do. Uh, you okayed my request today, clearly. The article is older than I am, so a lot's uh, changed since then, I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, how has your relationship uh, with media members changed since then? Because it, it sounded like they were maybe were misquoted a couple times and you were a little defensive. What's kind of changed since then? Um, I think just, you know, as, as a young coach, you, you, you know, maybe I was a little too, too free to say what I was thinking rather than, you know, thinking about how it was going to come out in the, in the media. So, um, you know, I think I'm a little more guarded since, since then. Um, but, um, uh, Eric Sondheimer and I have become great friends since then and I really think he does a great job and is great for high school sports when he was gone from high school sports for a few years um, I do think it made a difference I mean and, and he's his his heart and his mind is in the right place I think he's you know trying to get you know get to things that are important and and uh, uh, I, I just think he does a great job yeah Eric, Eric's awesome and he's been on this show and uh, it was really nice to talk to him yeah do you remember your first interaction with him? Do you remember when you first met him? Uh, no, I don't. I don't remember a lot of things, but uh, um, I don't remember the first interaction. No. 
But you're absolutely right. For just about as long as you've coached, and maybe even a little longer, he might have before the L.A. Times was at uh, the Daily News, I think. So yeah, he, right. yeah, he, he certainly paid his dues. He's done uh, a great job. In that same 94 article, it said uh, you leave your house in Palmdale at 5 a.m., you work out here at school, and then you'd have school. Has uh, your routine changed at all since then? Well, I don't live in Palmdale, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is good. Uh, I live in Santa Clarita, so it's still, still quite a drive. But um, I generally uh, have, have gotten away from the morning workouts. I hate, hate to admit it, but uh, I try to find other times in the day to, to work out and stuff. But it, it, it is, uh, as both athletic director and football coach, there are long days many times and uh, here at night for games and, uh, and all that. And uh, um, so I still, still try to exercise regularly and, and uh, um, you know, sp- spend as much time as I can with my family. Um, you know, I, I remember saying, I don't remember, it was that same article, but, you know, th- when I would come home, I remember coming home to Palmdale, you know, if, if, if we'd had a lousy game or something was uh, difficult about the day, uh, you know, when I would come in the door and my three daughters who were very young at that time would run into my arms and uh, everything else went away. You know, it didn't, none of what happened at school that day mattered because uh, of their love. And uh, they're all in their 30s now and and, uh, it's still the same thing essentially, but uh, a little different. Coach, I've talked to a lot of athletic directors who say, I'm so busy I could never coach football or, or basketball. I have, I have too much to do. How do you balance the two? Um, that's a great question, and, and, I, and I think that the demands on a football coach have uh, really gone up. I mean, in, in terms of uh, just coaching the sport itself, but all the, all the outside stuff you have to handle is, is, uh, is much more than it was uh, when I first started, certainly. Um, and same for the athletic director. So I, I'm very fortunate to have uh, assistants who, frankly, do most of the work, especially during football season. Uh, there's no way I could do it myself. Uh, and, I, and I think it's, it's difficult to be both a coach and athletic director um, in season. It's just you're so consumed with what you're doing with your sport. It's very difficult to uh, have the time to um, to do all the, the paperwork and stuff that's involved with being an athletic director. You know, I still obviously am talking with coaches and, and evaluating and all those things, uh, even when, even in season. But, um, you know, I, I wouldn't advise it, actually. I think it's, I think it's important that the athletic director have, have been a coach because you have to be able to be in their shoes um, but it's difficult to do both jobs at the same time without a lot of assistance. With football over now, you mentioned the paperwork. How are your duties going to change? Clearly, you don't have practice after school, no more games. So kind of what is your job looking like now? Well, first of all, as a football coach, it doesn't end. That's true. That's true. I should know that. uh, You know, especially right now is the time when there's a lot of college coaches coming around. And and, uh, And you have some guys... Right, and, the, and it, getting it, looks. You know, and we're we're trying to uh, help our kids get to the colleges they want to go to. You know, and and a lot of 
you know, whether they're being recruited by Division One schools or, or whether they want to go to a Division Three school or an NAIA school or whatever it is, we want to try to help them get there. And there's a lot of uh, meeting with coaches and phone calls and stuff that goes into all that. Um, you know, we're, we're getting started on, on weight training already for the next year in, in, in football and so on. Um, but as, as an athletic director, it's, it's, you know, when we have soccer games and basketball games at night that, that are, we supervise and, uh, you know, we're, we're working on budgets for the next year, you know, working on equipment stuff and all that stuff. So there, there's, there's something every, every minute of the day. As a football coach, no matter if you're a 22-year-old assistant or a guy like you who's been head coach of a varsity team for a long time, you always want to learn and, and improve and, and get better. In year 39 and, and going into year 40, what are some things that – and, like, how, how do you learn some new – you know, you've seen it all. So how, how are you kind of learning and, and trying to, to get better? What do you do in the off season to try to improve your, your coaching for the next year? Um, I like to go to college practices. Um, Which colleges? Um, We've well, we have USC and UCLA right here, so we we often visit their practices. Um, we've taken staff trips to the University of Oregon several years. When Chip Kelly was there, actually, we we went there three times. Uh, we've been to Michigan State um, to look at their defensive stuff. Um, you know, so we we've been we've been to several several different places. Um, we go to clinics. Um, you know, it, it there's a lot of lot of stuff online now and and so on. So, uh, I love studying football. That's part of what makes it fun, and all of our coaches do. Uh, so we we do everything we can to, you know, and the, whatever position we coach, we want to we want to hear anything new and and uh, you know what people are thinking about in terms of what they're teaching at the college and professional level uh, to try to stay abreast of of you know, what are the best and most effective methods of teaching, uh, especially in this day of age, day and age where concussions and so on have become so much of a concern. Uh, we want to make sure that we are teaching things the safest and most effective way. Because um, that's, that's one thing I bothers me a lot about, uh, you know, the sport is is that we want it to be safe. We we don't and we want the game to continue because it was such a great experience for all of us who played, and we came out of it obviously with or uh, maybe not obviously, but <laughs> we survived it and, and didn't haven't had issues other than a few uh, few things. But um, you know, so so keeping the game safe is is important to us. I'm sure since 1980 to now, you've had some philosophical differences uh, from where you were so long ago. But looking at some teams in your league, Sarah throws the ball a million times a game, and Chaminade would air it out with Ryan Stevens, and Alemany with uh, the new coach this year would throw it all the time. Cooper threw it a decent amount this year, but you were a run-first team mainly. Do you think that that style, and I mean, it worked for you this year, so this might be a stupid question on my part, but it seems like it's we're trending toward throw, 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 and you're not really doing that. How long do you think that's going to last for you guys, and just how has the game changed from when you first started coaching back in the 80s or 70s as an assistant to 
today, and uh, it just seems like you're on one track, and a lot of teams in your league are doing other things, and that's just on offense. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, uh, I think it's we're always trying to do what's going to give us the best chance. Exactly. Um, and what's going to fit our personnel best. Um, so if you had a guy who was, say, a really, really good pocket passer, would you air it out as much as some of those other teams, you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you need to have all the parts. Certainly. You, you need to have uh, receivers line, and, yeah. and the offensive line that, that can do it and so on. Um, I am a believer, uh, and I think this bears out in just about every level of football, that if you can, if you can run – the ball and stop the run that your chances of winning are much better um, so that you know we, we start from a defensive perspective of stopping the run um, and on offense running the ball you know we'd like to be as balanced as possible um, we want to have quarterbacks who can uh, be successful and we have through the years have had a lot of outstanding quarterbacks and outstanding um, uh, running backs too so we're, we're always going to try to to be balanced, but our, our philosophy is is to to run it, to throw it, with play action pass and so on, uh, rather than the other way around, which has kind of become the the mode these days is to is to throw it first and and then run it, run it off the pass. Um, not saying one's better than the other, but that's just the way we feel about it. And this year, you can't argue with the results. You made it further than any other team in your league in your respective playoffs. Coach, you've coached uh, some great kickers, Kai Forbith, Nick Folk, Chris Saylor. That's uh, two NFL guys, and maybe Chris made the NFL as well. His name wasn't as familiar as the other two to me, but I saw that he was drilling 50-plus yarders for you uh, a few years back. What is it with you and kickers? How have you been able to have so much success with these guys? Uh, you know, first of all, we, we put a, a great emphasis on special teams. We think it's really important. Um, this year we had... Four, I believe, uh, special teams touchdowns. Um, our kicker had 58 touchbacks kicking off. Wow. Um, we had nine punts down inside the 20-yard line. Um, you know, th those are things that we are, feel are really important part of winning winning football games. Um, and we always have, and we've always placed an emphasis on special teams from, from 1980 till now. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if that caused kickers to want to come here, uh, but even even before those guys that you mentioned, we had some very good kickers that went on and kicked in college. Uh, Brian Greenfield, uh, Chris Afarian, uh, and a couple other guys who Brian Greenfield played at Pittsburgh and Chris Ferrian kicked at Santa Clara. Um, you know, we, we kind of had a reputation for having kickers. When Chris Saylor came... He was, and pretty much all those guys were soccer players. In fact, all of them were. Um, were very good soccer players. Um, so they they knew how to kick a ball. Uh, remember Chris Saylor? We took him out during a PE class and said, "Put the ball on the tee," and said, "Try try kicking this different shaped ball." And uh, he kicked it a long ways. So we talked him into coming out. We adjusted our practices actually so that. We did all the kicking at the beginning of practice. So the kickers didn't have to stay for the whole practice because they usually went to do club soccer stuff. Um, and that's the way it worked with, with all those guys. Um, <clears throat> and, and, you know, Chris, Chris was an All-American at UCLA. 
and now runs the uh, is considered the number one kicking coach in the country, uh, and runs camps all over the country. Okay, I yeah. I didn't know that, but that sound that sounded familiar. Okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, and he he essentially taught Kai and. Nick Folk and Eric Folk played at the University of Washington and actually beat USC twice with field goals at the end of the game. Um, so uh, those guys, his his kicking teaching actually brought brought guys to Notre Dame quite a bit. Um, so we were we've we've been blessed. We we uh, you know we we need we need some kickers right now. I hope somebody's listening out there that can. Uh, come in and help us in that regard but um you know those those guys uh i i think appreciated the uh emphasis on special teams you know and, and unfortunately nowadays with as as all sports become more year-round it's harder to get kids to good soccer players know how to kick a ball to come out and kick footballs anymore you know even though you know guys like Nick and Kai ended up making careers out of it and making a lot of money doing it in the NFL. Um, you know, it, it's tough to get get those guys to come out and kick kick footballs for an hour at the beginning of practice. One other former player you had was Giancarlo Stanton, I believe, and back in those days he was known as Mike, correct? Uh, right. And we all know that he's a great baseball player on the Yankees now. Probably, in terms of anyone you've coached to. Probably made the most money. <laughs> yeah, especially he made the most money of anybody in the history of the sport. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so he did really well for himself. What are some memories from him playing football that you have, and do you stay in touch with him at all? Uh, he he comes by the school usually once or twice a year, and uh, many of his friends from when he was here, uh, or actually a couple of them are coaching with us and stuff. So we kind of kind of hear about what's going on with him through them. Um, he was, he was a great guy. I mean, he he uh, he actually transferred here. <clears throat> yeah, from Verdugo Hills of yeah, all places. Right, right. Um, you know, and and we didn't know anything about him when he when he got here. And you know, he was just just another kid. You know, that he was he was, you know we could see that he was a good athlete and he was tall and and uh, um, uh, and he obviously I don't think he had a clue at that point in time how good he could be. Um, you know, by the time he was a senior, he kind of, as a junior, it took, took him a while to get. What position was he? Uh, for us, he played wide receiver in the okay. corner, believe it or not. And he's, you know, he's 6'5", 250 or 260 now, but he was about 200 pounds then. Uh, very good athlete, just very natural, great hands. Um, you know, I think that if, if he had chosen to stick with football, he, he'd probably be an NFL tight end at this point in time, but. Um, uh, just, just a very, just a regular guy, you know, just, uh, you know, played all three sports cause he loved to play. He was a really good basketball player too. Uh, we had really good football teams when he was here. We had really good basketball teams when he was here and really good baseball teams in part because he was so good. Um, you know, was always, was humble. He was not, uh, me, me type of guy at all was not even in his framework at that time. Didn't seem like. Uh, so we're we're really happy for all the success that he's had, and uh, you know he's very very deserving. Thank you for answering that. That's some really interesting insight into a, 
a guy who, so I'm a Red Sox fan, and he's, <laughs> he's on the uh, Yankees, obviously, and Red Sox had a pretty good year this year, so, yes, I, so that was nice. Yes, but uh, always interesting to learn about these pros who used to play high school football, and he went on to play baseball. It's just a, it's incredible. Coach, I have a few more questions for you, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Sure. So the Mission League, when I – so I told you I came here a year and a half ago, and I remember seeing – reading stuff when I was preparing. The Mission League is a very, very good football league, high level, really good. This is what you want to cover. And so I've covered it for the past year and a half now, and – in my experience, it's the Trinity League that gets all the, the pub and everyone's really big on the Trinity League. What's kind of changed? Because it used to be with, with Chaminade and Sarah, the, the, the Mission League was kind of the, the big boy in town, and now that's changed. Why do you think that is, and just how does that make you feel as a coach in the Mission League? Uh, well, I've, I've never um, – the Trinity League has always been an excellent league. Yes. Um, the Mission League is a, is a very good league. Um, I think that um, there's a little different emphasis in the Trinity League, to be, to be frank with you. Um, you know, I think we're, our league is uh, a little less likely to take a bunch of, a, a bunch of transfers and, and, um, and those kinds of things. And, and it, uh, you know, we don't really, you know, you know, we don't worry about which league is best and so on. We're just trying to do do what we do. We're trying to educate kids, and we're we're doing the best we can uh, in all aspects of our schools. And and we want to play great athletics. We do it as as best we can. We're we're it's not an at all cost type of a thing. And I don't know if it is there either. But it it uh, you know, and things go in cycles too. I mean, it it just it fluctuates you know uh maybe in a couple of years the mission league will be be the better league i don't know but um they they have very good very good teams in that league and and uh and so do we uh we're probably not not as strong right now but it may may change in a few years and there are division one guys on every team in your league so it's not like the talent has really changed i want to ask and I don't know what's going to happen in terms of the Southern Section Football Divisions next year, but you had a great year in Division Two, and this probably won't happen. But say down the line you do get moved up to Division One, as a coach who, you know, winning isn't all cost. It's so tough to compete against modern day St. John Bosco. As someone in, in your situation, it's exciting to be moved up a division, but into Division One, that's kind of a whole different animal. In in the Southern Section. You kind of kiss your chances goodbye when you move up a division, and, and I, it's too bad that that is the way it is. But just as a coach who has done really well in not Division One and has won Southern Section championships, your team had a great year in Division Two. That could happen. What would be your thoughts if you did get moved up? Because it doesn't really get competitive up there. A um, couple things. I, you know, I, I uh, you always want to compete. Certainly. Uh, but it's also it's also fun to compete at a level where it's going to be competitive. Um, I, I'm uh, I'm in favor of if if the CIF ever decides to do it an open division, yeah. where there would be the top those schools that that make that a priority. Let them play each other. 
um, and let the rest of the schools figure it out. But, you know, it, it something that I know that has been consider, considered and I, and I would be in favor of it is just rather than developing the divisions before the season, develop them at the end of the season. So you say, well, these are the top teams. Have them play each other. Take the next group of 16, they're the next division, and so on. Because <clears throat> as it is, it's, you know, you're, the division you're placed in is based on what's happened in years past rather than what's happening right now. So it's, uh, you may have a real strong team one year with a bunch of seniors, and the next year you're not going to be as strong, but you're in an upper division. So, um, you know, I think that would be a better way to do it. But um, I do, I do <clears throat> appreciate all the efforts the CIF has made yeah. to, to change things around. And I, and I do think it's fairer now than, than it was before. Um, so that's great. But, uh, you know, find, finding a way to, uh, you know, kind of keep that elite group at the top separate would be helpful, I think. Yeah, San Diego, I think, does a nice job. Instead of an eight-team open division, they do four. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be a good idea. Look at the semifinalists this year. Everyone kind of knew that those would be right. the last four right. teams. And, again, it's year to year, so you don't right. want to change everything based on one year. But it kind of seems like four teams have done really well the past couple of years, and they're not really going to get any worse. So that could be an idea. But you're right. They do a really nice job, and it's hard. You can't please everyone. Right. So two other right. questions, uh, Coach. You're known for teaching humility and producing high-character players, and that comes before winning here. Why is that? Because I think that's why we're teachers. That's why we're educators. That's that's our job. You know, uh, you know, our goal is to win championships, but our purpose is to help create people who are going to help make the world a better place. And um, you know, that's that's why I got into it to begin with. I mean, I, I love coaching. And I love the sport of football, and and uh, um, I'm fortunate that. My avenue for helping to educate kids is through football, um, but the most important thing is that is that we're helping families and parents raise their kids the right way, and and um, hope that they will be people who contribute to society in in a real positive way. Um, so that's that's the main reason. That's a great, great reason. The last question, feel free to just brush me off and say, no, I haven't thought about it. Have you given any thought to how much longer you want to keep doing this? Um, yes, yeah, sure, I think about it. Uh, and my wife and I talked about it and um, quite a lot. But, um, you know, I'm just, I just kind of go year to year and, and um, you know, I'm still enjoying it and I think I'm still – uh, able to contribute to the education of kids and um, in a positive way. When I when I feel like I can't do that or I uh, get behind the times or too old to make it around the field or something, then then uh, uh, you know we'll see. But it it uh, right now I'm I'm still enjoying it and I still feel like I can contribute. Yeah, and your team's results this past year uh, speak for themselves. That's Kevin Rooney, the head football coach and athletic director here at Notre Dame Sherman Oaks. Coach, thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome.